Welcome to Sports BKC, the Kansas City Stars Daily Sports Podcast. It's Wednesday, May 6th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Got to tell you, star columnist Vahe Gregorian and I had a great time speaking with former Royals manager Ned Ghost earlier this week. He was at his farm in Georgia, told us he hadn't gotten a haircut during the COVID-19 pandemic, that makes two of us Ned, and that he always wears a mask the few times he goes out. He said he looks like a hippie Jesse James when he goes to the store. Vahe and I talked to Ned as part of a five-year flashback the star is doing. We're remembering the 2015 World Series Championship, and Ned took us on the journey from his perspective every step of the way. We talked about not only the three series the Royals had to win to gain the crown, but what it took to get there, and how he, the staff, and the front office had to suffer through some growing pains to reach the postseason. We talked about how getting to the playoffs in 2014 and falling just short in the World Series inspired the 2015 team, and how that was evident from spring training and just the makeup of these championship Royals. Ned, who has spent a dozen years coaching in the ultra-successful Atlanta Braves organization, which won a World Series, a handful of National League pennants, and the division every year, said that the 2015 Royals weren't the most talented team he'd been around, but they were the closest. After a break, we'll spend more time with Ned as he tells the story of Game 6 of the American League Championship Series against the Toronto Blue Jays, and his decision to stay with closer Wade Davis after a long rain delay. So here we go with Ned Yost and Vahe Gregorian and me. You know, it, it's hard to really think about stuff, but you know, when they, when I, I want to think that um, when they hit a, a two or three run homer off of Ryan Matson to give him a, 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 a four run lead, and we're going in the eighth inning, I'm like, please, oh, Pete, man, this is going to be. This is going to be a tough comeback, and our but our guys, you know, they just believed in themselves so strongly that when Alex Rios got on to lead off the inning, it's like, okay, here we go. I mean, you could just kind of feel it. Here we go. Here we go. And guys were putting together great at bats. Drew Butera put together a phenomenal at bat, which was a key at bat in that inning to keep keep things going. But you know, everybody was just everybody was really working. The at bats really working to to do everything they could to get on base, and uh, you know you've heard it so many times. Keep the line moving, and you know just you know it just like snowball. Here we go, boom, 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 and you know when that inning was over, it was like holy cow, that was unbelievable. <laughs> Is there any way to to define why you guys were able to pull off all those comebacks? I mean, maybe it's obvious in one sense that talent and resilience, but. It, you know, not every team that's talented and resilient can do that. I, I wonder what allowed you guys to, to carve that out. I don't know. I just think, um, you know, our guys our guys were extremely close. Um, they were extremely confident in not only themselves, but each other's abilities. They leaned on each other. They trusted each other. And uh, the thing that, that we didn't have anybody that would give up. You know, we didn't have anybody to think, oh, man, we're down four runs in the eighth inning, let's go get them tomorrow, or, uh, you, you know, that would that would think negative thoughts. You know, this whole this was a group of positive thinkers, and, um, you know, they just stayed after. They were gamers. They were winners. I mean, that's, that's what a winner is, a guy that continues to fight right to the end until he's got no more, uh, no more pitches to throw or no more pitches to be seen. 
um, you know, and these guys, that's what they were. They were, they were a focused group. They, you know, they, they probably weren't the most talented world championship team ever, but they were, they were as close as any team I've ever been around. Uh, and, and were as big a, a, a collection of winners, uh, uh, you know, the biggest collection of winners that I've ever been around. And Ned, something else that struck that occurred to me about this team is that you got contributions not only from your front line guys, but everybody on the on, on the postseason roster. I mean, throughout the postseason, guys like Christian Cologne and you know Terrence Gore and uh, and, and Dyson, of course, and you know, and, and pitchers like Chris Young. I mean, everybody stepped up over that postseason. Uh, how how rare is that? Uh. I mean, I don't know. You you have to have that to win a world championship. You know, you got a guy. You got to have guys that are talented and play their best baseball when it counts. And um, you know, that's exactly what they did. There was nobody that uh, you know felt the challenge was too big for them. There was nobody that um, you know didn't want to be in a tough situation. They all did because they all felt like they were going to be successful. One of the things, Ned, that, that always stood out is how much these guys grew, uh, you know, under you, basically. But I also remember you feeling like you grew through them. And I, I wonder if you could just expand on that a little bit on, on, on what they gave you as a manager to learn and grow from. What did what, you say? What gave you? Just, yeah, just did, did, I always had the sense that you felt like you grew, they grew through you, but that you grew from those players in that group, that they, they made you learn to be a better manager. Um, did, did, did you feel that way? Um, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I definitely did. You know, I felt, um, you know, I grew up, I think you're a product of your environment, and, and my environment was growing up uh, as a coach under Bobby Cox, and Bobby was you know, as a manager, he was very particular on respect of the game. You know, you respect the uniform, you respect the opposition, you you respect the game through your play, through your hustle, through your appearance. Um, so, you know, I think I was always, um, uh, you know, I was always trying to make sure guys were doing that. Uh, you know, and at times it got to be, it got to be, uh, uh, a point where it would stifle their personality a little bit. Instead of understanding that these kids are all hungry and that they're all different personality-wise, uh, you know, and allow them to be themselves, if you allow them to be themselves, you probably get the most out of them. And I think that was the lesson that I learned more than anything else, is that, you know, there's a pretty big age difference between you know, some of these guys, when I'm pushing 59, 60, and these guys are in their, their you know, low 20s and mid-20s, you know, it's a different, it's a different generation. So, you know, uh, I, I had to learn how to handle them different. I couldn't handle them the way that we were handled when we came up. It's a different, it was a different group. You know, that we didn't, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers. We didn't have computer games. You know, we played outside so your mom you know, called you home. If you if you messed up, your coach would yell and scream at you. You just kind of took it, you know, okay, do I'll do better next time. And, 
you know, it was a different, it was just a different generation and you had to learn, or I had to learn to adapt to that, you know, to allow them to, to, to in order to be the best that they can, allow them to be themselves because they were all great kids. They were all winners and competing competitors and just allow them to, to play their game, allow them to be who they are, be comfortable every time they step on that field. It would probably, you know, bode well for us and, it, it did, and that's, I think, the biggest lesson that I learned. Quit trying to make them like yourself and just let, allow them to be the, themselves. Well, what it's interesting you say that, because one of the things that certainly has always stood out to me about what, what you gave them were guys like Moustakis or Escobar, that stands out to me, they, they clearly benefited from your faith in them. Um, whether it was in the moment or when Moose was getting sent down or when you kept batting Esky when he wasn't really able to, to match up at that point. I just wonder if you could speak to your need to give them positivity all the time and, and how much you think that, that really paid off. Well, it paid off. It was huge. Uh, and, you know, it's a different, you know, it, we knew, I knew that we had a group of young kids that were coming up, and, and through my experience with Atlanta, through my experience with Milwaukee, I knew it was going to take about somewhere between two, two and a half years before they would get settled in and start to be, you know, players that that would mold into a championship caliber type player. So I knew that in order for them to be successful, they had to go through these periods. And a lot of people, the problem that you run into. Uh, especially back when I was when I started playing, if you went 0 for 10, 0 for 12, you know you you, you put your butt on the bench, and then if you did it for too much longer, they sent you down to the minor leagues. There was no developing at the big league level. Well, in our case, we had to develop at the big league level. We had to have these kids up here in that environment, learning to get comfortable, learning how to win, learning how to play the game uh, in that environment, so that when they got there we could we could take off and I knew that patience was key I mean more than anything else Moose had to go through his his ups and downs to become the player that he is they came had to go through his ups and downs FD they all did Hawks did they all did and um, I think more than anything else you know you have to allow them time to develop and you can't look at it as, as a short short-term thing. You can't look at it as an 0 for 10, 0 for 12, put them on the bench. You know, you got to let them ride. If they're hitting 140, you know, J.J. Hardy, I learned a great lesson on that when I was in Milwaukee. J.J. was hitting, you know, 160. The owner came in and he was really upset. He did not want me playing J.J. Hardy anymore and J.J. was a rookie. And he asked me, he said, how much longer you got to play a shortstop that's hitting 160? I'm like, as long as I'm here every day, this kid's going to play because he's going to be a good player. And, of course, next year, J.J. ended up making the all-star team, hit 25 home runs because we gave him the leeway to to become the player that he he was, uh, you know, supposed to be. But that's how it works. And it, it, it's hard when you start putting pressure on younger players uh, for them to, you know, to develop, it takes them longer. So, you know, my mindset was, all right, let them go through them, support them. You know, as long as they're playing hard, as long as they're not getting defeated, allow them to go through this because they're going to need this experience when crunch time comes. 
Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We're back with our interview with former Royals manager Ned Yost, and we pick up the conversation talking about the important acquisitions of Ben Zobris and Johnny Cueto uh, in July of 2015. And then we get into the American League Championship Series against the Toronto Blue Jays. We get to Game 6 with the Royals leading three games to two. The Blue Jays had tied the game of the eighth on Juan Batista's two-run homer, Yost went with closer Wade Davis to get the final two outs of the inning, and then came a 45-minute rain delay, and the Royals scored in the bottom of the eighth, so it had been more than an hour since the last time Davis had pitched. But we know that Yost brought Davis back to throw the ninth. How did he reach that decision? He explains in this part of the conversation. Hey, hey, Ned, it, in late late July that year, you guys were 20, 25 games over 500. You were leading the division by 10. I mean, I think it was pretty established that the Royals were the best team, at least in the American League, if not all of baseball. And yet, you guys went out and got two two big pieces in, in uh, Ben Zobrist and Johnny Cueto. What what did they bring, and, and why was it important? for what, what made those acquisitions important? Well, and what made it important was I think we talked about it a little bit a little bit ago was we were ninety feet short, and um, the year before, and I think Dayton was going to do everything that he could, and Mr. Glass, where they were going to do everything that they could to make sure that we weren't going to be ninety feet short this year. Uh, they were both tremendous players. They were both, you know, Ben Zobris was a huge part of our our club offensively and defensively, and Johnny Cueto, uh, you know, gave us a great boost. He pitched, you know, a couple of great games in the playoffs, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, were, were very, very, you know, beneficial to us and very important for us to help us win that world championship. But, you know, we didn't make any moves in 14, and, you know, we felt like we were good enough, you know, to win, but, you know, like I said, we were just 90 feet short, and Dayton won Dayton was going to do, he wasn't going to leave any stone unturned in 15. He was going to give us every opportunity, you know, to make sure that we weren't 90 feet short in 15. Ned, you know, sort of the the flip side of that, you you have those contributions from those guys, but then you get big, big moments from from Alex Gordon, for instance. And I I wonder um, just how how much you savored seeing that for Alex after uh, all his ups and downs and, and what a Kansas City icon he had become. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. How uh, you know how how far he's come, and you know when I first joined the organization in 2010, you know Alex had gotten set down to become a left fielder, and uh, you know so I, I didn't see him until we called him up, you know later in the year. Uh, but the thing that I, I saw was enough for me was I saw Alex 
spring training. And I knew that he was the number one pick. I knew he was extremely talented. And I would watch him when we were, when Kansas City would play Milwaukee. I would watch him. One, two. I knew that small market teams can't miss on their number one picks. They can't. So, you know, we were, we as a coaching staff had to do everything that we could to give Alex the opportunity to be successful. And Alex would reciprocate. We all know Alex now is that Alex would work as hard or harder than anybody I've ever been around. I can't, I can't honestly say that I've never seen a more consistent, harder worker than Alex Gordon. There's just nobody in my whole career have I seen that is that, that, that dedicated to not only diet and strength training and, and hard work and practice every single day to, to be the best that he can. Alex Gordon is it. So, you know, to watch him become the player that he has become the player, and you're right, he's an, an icon in Kansas City. It's just, uh, it, it, it's a it's a good feeling for me. I'm so proud of him. You know, I've seen him go through the ups and downs, and uh, I'm just uh, I'm really pleased with what he's been able to accomplish in his career. And you know, I was thinking about him the other day. What does this thing do for him? You know, what if this game doesn't come back this year? Does he play one more year? You know, who knows? But um, he's sure been a treat to watch all these years. Yeah. Well, Ned, going. I guess. You know that that game five of the Houston series um, was pretty memorable for Johnny's Johnny's game, and then there you are on into the championship series again. I I wonder what stands out to you about playing Toronto and and how that unfolded. Well, I, I know what what um, for me Toronto made me nervous. You know, Houston made me nervous. I felt like Houston was exactly like we were. A year before, two years before, they were young, they were talented, they were aggressive. You know, they they, they played the game hard, and and when we won Game Five, uh, you know, it, that was, you know, that was a great feeling. But then again, you know, it's like okay, we're we're not done yet. We got this tough Toronto team, and you know, going into the last day of the season, I remember the last couple games in Minnesota. You know, we were still fighting for best record. And it was important to me to win best record because I didn't want to have to go to Toronto four times, you know. But again, our guys with their confidence and their, uh, you know, their mindset, they didn't care. They would go to Toronto seven times. <laughs> they didn't care. They wanted to be healthy and they wanted to be ready for the playoffs. And that was their mindset. So luckily we ended up winning the last day and, uh, and, Somebody, Toronto might have lost. They got, and anyway, we got best record, so that saved that. But we knew Toronto was going to be, uh, it was going to be uh, one tough series. And luckily for us, you know, we, we had four games at uh, four games at home. We only needed three of them. But uh, you know, I remember uh, it was a, it was a tough tough series, and it was never ever comfortable. Well, that clinching game against Toronto was memorable for so many reasons, but. One of them was Wade Davis, um, you know, coming back after the rain delay. Could you take us through what the, you know, just his his determination, his mindset, and and uh, and, and bringing Wade Davis back after that? I think it was about forty five minutes. Yeah, uh, I mean, I knew what you know. I knew rain was coming, and 
it was the eighth inning. I was trying to get through the eighth without having to use weight because I knew there was going to be a rain delay. And, you know, I'm like, okay, we put Ryan Matson out there. Come on, Ryan. Oh, you can, you know, hold this fork for us. And ended up giving up a two-run. We were, I think, ahead three to one at the time. Ended up giving up a, a, a two-run homer and then a base hit. And now I'm like, okay, I can't let this game slip away. I got to bring Wade in. And I remember Wade, boom, boom, getting the last two outs and coming in. When he hit the, the top step, it started pouring down rain. And I was as frustrated. I, I, I can't really, I, I don't know if it's, I was mad. I was frustrated. I was uh, pissed off that it was raining. You know, it, because I knew that this was probably going to be a 20-minute rain delay, 25-minute rain delay. And my clothes are now sitting on the bench after, you know, getting hot. So as we got to the 20-minute mark, the 25-minute mark, they got under the 30-minute mark, I started getting madder, and I started getting madder, and we got to the 35-minute mark, and, you know, I walked in and I asked Wade, I said, you okay? And Wade goes, I'm fine. Man, I'm good. I'm, 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 don't worry about it. I got it. So I'm like, all right. Um, and I think it was like 45 minutes before we resumed. But when we did resume, the one thing that kind of made me feel better was seeing Lorenzo Cain score from first on Haas's double down the right field line. Uh, you know, that, that, made, that made all that upset, mad, pissed off uh, go away right there. We had the lead again. And, and um, you know, if, if there's anybody that I would send out on the mound, after a 45-minute rain delay, it'd be Wade Davis with his determination, his mindset. Uh, you know, and he sure enough, he made it a little interesting, but uh, <laughs> it was sure exciting. <laughs> That'll do it for today. We'll hear from Ned Yost again in the coming weeks as the star reviews the Royals' 2015 postseason run to the World Series championship. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett, and a tip of the cap to Vahe Gregorian today. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes, along with all of the stars' retrospective of the 2015 postseason. Hey, earlier in the episode, you heard me talk about the Sports Pass coverage, and that still stands. It's a good deal. 30 bucks for a year's worth of sports coverage. Here's an even better offer. Get the entire Kansas City Star. Sports, news, features, commentary, analysis, all of it. You get all the stories written by the Star's talented staff. Details can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. That's account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. In either case, the Sports Pass or the full subscription, you're supporting local journalism and helping us deliver products like Sports BKC, which will be back on Thursday because this is where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.